All right. It is the week of September 26, 2022, and this is the Fight Business Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Ogier, and today we've got a lot to cover. First up, we're going to talk about the UFC closing its doors to media and fans for the upcoming UFC Fight Night headline between Mackenzie Dern and Yan Chownan. Lots to unpack there. I've heard a couple of things. I've seen a lot of people speculating on what it is. We'll talk about what I've heard. Again, nothing concrete, but we need to examine it. And also what the impact will be to the relationship between the UFC and media and fans, right? This is kind of a big deal. One of the first times they've closed it off. They're not telling us exactly why. We'll dive into all of that. Next, we're going to talk about Dana White Contender Series. So the season wrapped up this past week on Tuesday. uh, Had some great fights. Bo Nickel, obviously, a standout. But we need to talk about the impact to the roster for the UFC on a greater level because there are some big numbers that came out of the Contender Series, some interesting tidbits that I think will kind of circle back to what we've been talking about with how the UFC is looking to cut costs. Next, we have to talk about a grander political um, environment when we discuss Russia's mobilization and how it may impact Russian MMA fighters. We have seen a couple been called up. We've seen some Ukrainian uh, MMA fighters voluntarily go fight in Ukraine. But with this new mobilization or draft, will it affect superstars like Islam Makachev or some of the other big Russian names that are still out there? We've got to look at that from multiple angles and kind of talk about what it means as things kind of change in that grander environment. Then we'll go over our quick hit section, some very good tidbits in that. And last but not least, we are going to cover the PFL championship that will now be a pay-per-view the day after Thanksgiving in America. Big deal there. We've got to examine the thought process behind it as well as how the PFL can set themselves up to be as successful as possible. So with that in mind, timestamps at the bottom as always, and let's go ahead and dive right in. All right, first up, we're going to talk about this weekend's upcoming fight night card, UFC fight night, uh, Dern versus Zhao Nan or uh, Vegas, I think 61 or fight night 211, depending on what you want to call it, right? Um, it was announced earlier this week that members of the media, as well as fans, would not be allowed at this particular fight night. That is certainly a strange occurrence. Um, we haven't really seen that since COVID, honestly, right? Um, it, it's it's something that definitely stands out in the history of the UFC, of where well, we're shutting it all down. Nobody come in here. It's not because of a virus. It's because of, well, we don't know. And when asked about it, because the media did have a chance to talk to Dana and some of the fighters uh, in the lead up to this, this week's fight night card. Um, We've heard a couple of different things. Dana basically deflected and said, you know, we're just giving you guys a week off, et cetera, et cetera. Mackenzie Dern mentioned it was something to do with Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, Ariel Hawani had mentioned uh, he had heard something from one source in regards to Zuckerberg. I've seen a couple other people saying Trump might be there, but that doesn't really make any sense given Trump came to uh, UFC 244 and was, you know, just there uh, (laughs) along with a bunch of other people. This is an interesting situation. So what is going on, right? 
here's what I know. Um, I have a source uh, that is currently at Meta. Um, and from what I've heard, it is something in regards to Zuckerberg. I think that much will be confirmed this weekend. But yes, uh, I, I believe it's something to do with that. In terms of what it's about, and we can't take this as concrete because, again, I, too, only have one source. Um, it's probably coming from a different space than some of the other media members you'll have because they have different contacts more within the organization of the UFC. Uh, but in regards to what I've heard with this, it's most likely something around hosting fights in the metaverse and kind of taking and testing out how that would work, right? Um, this is something that Dana White had brought up in January, talking to the Nelk boys, saying, you know, they're working on doing fights in the metaverse. Mark Zuckerberg had talked about it a little bit. Um, some clips of him training MMA recently popped up a week or two ago, right? I uh, Everything I'm hearing is it's definitely something to do with Meta and Mark Zuckerberg. This would make the most sense to me. This is, and again, this is speculation in terms of what's actually happening, but this is where I'm going to go with this because I think there are some good business reasons for it, right? If you are unfamiliar with Meta, formerly Facebook, um, and what they've currently been striving to do, they are pushing the metaverse and the virtual reality world and all of this as, as hard as possible. Basically, from what I've heard internally, Top down, it's all about the metaverse. Yes, Facebook is still a thing. Yes, other, um, you know, uh, other, other, what is it? Portal is, is still a thing. There's still products, right? Still tons of products out there. They still own uh, Instagram and WhatsApp. So it's it's one of their service offerings. But the giant focus right now is making the metaverse a success, at least from what I've heard internally. With that being said. We've seen people buy land in the metaverse, right? Like there are people, there are stories that came out forever ago about people buying houses and land in the metaverse for obscene amounts of money. Um, this was kind of at the height of NFT and, and crypto craze, but there's certainly a contingent of people, including Zuckerberg, who wants to make that work. The stock, the last time I checked, which was, I believe, close of business... Thursday, um, in terms of the stock of, of Meta right now, is down nearly 60% for the year. It, that's that's not good, right? We've seen the scandals. We've seen uh, Zuckerberg being called to testify in various, in various committees in both parliament in the UK and in Congress in the US. Meta's going through a rough time right now. It's not a fun time. This year, especially with uh, some of the people leaving, including kind of Zuckerberg's right-hand woman, right, leaving um, earlier this year, and a lot of other higher execs kind of, you know, performing an exodus. It's been a rough, rough go for Meta. If you think about, you know, let's say you're in Mark Zuckerberg's position, um, if you think about how you can kind of steer the ship and, and right the ship rather, 
one of the ways that you can accomplish that is a partnership or a new product or something that gets the attention off of the existing scrutiny of Facebook and, you know, misinformation campaigns and everything going on there, as well as, you know, some of the other products that really haven't kind of taken off the way they like, right? Um, One way to do that, introduce a new product line, a new partnership, say, look, we are pivoting over here. This is what we're trying to do. Here's this great new partnership to help us start to get there. When companies go through a pivot, that's what they often do. Usually there is a failing product or service, or there is something under scrutiny that's bad press. They need to get good press out there. They need to kind of switch gears. This is a common theme in all of business. I have worked at multiple places where revenue is not hitting what they want. Um, They're going through a rough time internally in the company through politics or what have you. And so they either bring in executives from the outside, sometimes even as high as the CEO. That's clearly not the case with Meta, but, um, you know, meet, uh, meet.com, right? Or is it meet or meetup? I believe it's meetup. Um, yeah, meetup, sorry. Um, meetup, right? Did that, bringing in a brand new CEO, really trying to dig into the analytics of what's working and pivot a little bit. This happens in business all the time, all the time. What Zuckerberg is trying to do, I would assume, is find that new product or service he thinks will be on the cutting edge, has a lot of room for growth, um, you know, and kind of be the first to the market, right? Nobody else out there is really working on something like the metaverse, as far as we know, right? There is not a a digital platform quite like the metaverse out there. He's trying to be first. Uh, what what's the famous movie? Margin Call. Great great scene in Margin Call. Uh, if you have not seen it, it's a pretty solid movie and does a good job of capturing some of the decision-making and big businesses. It's obviously over-dramatized. I mean, a lot of things don't run exactly like that. But, uh, you know, the Jeremy Irons, who plays the CEO of this financial firm, going through all this stuff, basically says, you know, three ways to make money in the, the financial business. Either you are first, you cheat, or you're smarter than everyone. And the easiest way to do it is be first. And that's true, right? If you are the first in a particular market, that is almost always the easiest way to get the revenue you want, become dominant, all of that. Coming in after you have competition, uh, trying to innovate in a way that is different and more advantageous than your competitors, it's hard. It's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of resources. If you're just the first there, you don't have to have the most polished product. You don't have to have the most polished service. You can just be there and be like, hey, I'm here, no no competition. So if you want anything like this, you have to come to me. It's massive. Cheating, obviously, not recommended. Usually leads to a lot of bad times for internal executives and all that stuff, especially if you're caught. Um, but Zuckerberg's trying to be first here with a brand new innovative thing. The UFC, on the other hand, where this ties all back in, no, that was a bit of a tangent, but trust me, it circles around. The UFC, on the other hand, is... Currently at a point where 
they have had record year over year growth. Uh, they're pushing Endeavor's stock up so much that you know revenue expectations are changing. They're they're Endeavor going in and multiple times telling investors, yeah, we're going to go ahead and change our earnings forecast. We think it's going to be even more than before. That's almost all driven by the UFC, almost completely. So it's important to understand that the UFC, while they are killing it, they need to keep killing it, right? Endeavor stock is still down just like everybody else in these current markets. More than likely, these rough waters are going to get worse. I've mentioned to you guys over the past several months, I've kind of thought this was coming. I believe this is more of the start. We're in it, but I, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. So the UFC is still looking to, again, push the revenue to help shore up some of the gaps in Endeavor as well as just continually have growth. Because when you're able to tout, like, you know, during this downturn, we made record profits. We did all this. That's that's the kind of story that once things start to get back to normal or market conditions turn in your favor, really changes the game. Because then you're that company that survived and thrived in bad conditions. Everybody loves you. It allows you to kind of go up to the next level, right? So UFC is still trying to do that. This type of scenario is not a dream partnership for the UFC, but it's a great avenue for new revenue that hasn't been explored yet, right? Imagine you're the UFC and you are the first sport to really host regular metaverse events. And imagine your sponsors can buy not only physical sponsorships on your fighter's gear and your uniforms, but can buy spaces in the metaverse arena to advertise to people who want to watch. And imagine that the company that is really producing and doing all this metaverse stuff also is in a position where right now they need a win and they're more likely to give you favorable deal terms. Because I would bet money that Facebook is going to end up paying the UFC to do this if this is the metaverse introduction, right? And I'm sure they'll reach out and do some type of deal um, and so on. But it, most more than likely, I would expect it to be kind of like broadcast media rights, where Facebook buys the rights to host UFC events in the metaverse. Now, how that aligns with their current media rights deals and where that can get into some legal gray area, there's a ton there. But the fact that they could be the first to do that and then go to their sponsors and say, hey, look, this is this brand new thing talking about. We've been hyping it up forever, Metaverse, right? Don't you want to buy the Metaverse logo of the Octagon? Don't you want to buy you know, all these areas here where you have a big billboard or a big sign where people are watching the fights with their Oculus uh, you know, headsets, and then they look over to their left, they see your product there or service there. That's just a brand new avenue for sponsorship, especially if it takes off. Now, if it doesn't, okay, for the UFC's perspective, well, that didn't work, fine. But just kind of, just like the NFT images and likenesses and all of that, right? Just like how that's gone down and crypto.com sponsoring them, they just get free money. 
It's not, the onus is not on them to make it successful. Now they want it to be successful, so they'll work within the partnership to do that, but they're getting paid no matter what. They are not putting their own capital down to make this happen. In this particular scenario, if it is a metaverse type event, I, you could argue that they are in some ways because of the fans not being there because they wouldn't pay for the VIP experiences, but still it, it's a drop in the bucket compared to what is possible. In terms of why the media can't be there and how that affects everything, right? Because that's the other side of the story is we've seen it before. The, the media, especially in regards to MMA, is very different than other sports. There, there is a lot of things that have happened. There are a lot of people that, again, have, have drew the ire of Dana White in the UFC, and they're essentially banned or they, they don't get the credentials they want, and there's limited access, and that's UFC is, is fine with that. And, and the broader general audience seems to be okay with that as well, right? Um, it's not a scenario. The only time where there's been a real blowback was when Errol Hawani got banned for breaking the Brock Lesnar news. And then it took him going on his podcast in tears, saying it's an issue, having multiple ESPN personalities and the greater audience and media catching wind of it, pushing back on Dana White for them to eventually say, fine, you can come back, blah, blah, blah. But that's about the only case. We've seen other instances where, again, the media is more of an extension for the UFC. And that's why you don't have a ton of criticism and critical reports of the UFC that then also go to events and have the greater access to things. And from a business standpoint, it's not a bad call, right? If you can do that, you're the UFC, it's great. You're essentially saying... Look, you can come cover our events. You can come do this. That's fine. But, you know, if you're going to criticize us and be Debbie Downers and all this other stuff, you know, we don't want that out there. We don't, we're not going to give you greater access than what you may get if you play ball with us. It, it's that is something I am sure is an envy of most of the sporting world, right? Could you imagine if the, and you see it a little bit in, in, in the media outside of MMA and combat sports. But could you imagine if, you know, the Phoenix Suns were able to do that? And then I'm sure, you know, Robert Sarver uh, probably wouldn't have to sell or wouldn't feel as much pressure to sell. I mean, the Dan Snyder controversy, um, John Gruden controversy, all that stuff. If they had much more control over what media has access, all that stuff, Yes, you'd still have some of that stuff come up, but I, my guess is things would be more favorable for them. So it's a great advantage to have for the UFC. And, and it's something where you know smaller promotions can't necessarily afford that. They need as much coverage as possible. They kind of have to open the doors to more outlets and more people. UFC doesn't need to. UFC is already way ahead. They can say, nope, you know what? You're causing problems. Get out of here. And it doesn't really come back to affect them. This is another scenario. They told people essentially, I believe it was on Monday, yep, we're closing this off, which, I mean, again, is is their right. And they said, yep, we're closing this off, and nobody is coming there. 
and deal with it. If you did that in the NFL or you did that with another sport, there would be such a huge blowback. Here, you're going to get some complaints, but nothing nothing to the extent where it will change anything, in my opinion. This, this in my opinion, in order to get this deal done and make things comfortable for Zuckerberg, um, if again, if, again, that's what's happening, we don't know for sure. I know Dana refuted that Zuckerberg rented the place out, but as we know, Dana is very strategic in his word choice. So maybe Zuckerberg didn't rent the place out. Maybe the UFC opted to close it off because it would be easier to complete some of the tests that need to be done for the metaverse fights. Because I imagine this, this if it is the metaverse, this is going to be kind of a test run, right? I'm sure they will have people at Facebook testing it out, seeing what it looks like in real time to kind of set up the eventual, hey, we're going to host fights in the metaverse, which makes a lot of sense, right? You want to test out the product first. You don't want to just release it and all of a sudden it's a mess and you get bad blowback and all that. So if that's what's happening here, there is very little blowback to the UFC. In fact, we've heard a couple of people mention, hey, it's kind of ridiculous, but that's it. For the most part, MMA media is like, okay, that's fine. Or I wonder what's happening. But, you know, there's not any protesting. There's not any, this is ridiculous. There's a couple of that. But, I mean, you're not going to see any wider change here. So the risk-reward ratio here for the UFC is very clearly in the favor of shut it down. Lock everybody out and get this deal done. Because the amount of sponsorships that you might be able to bring in if you complete this is huge. Whereas... If you're talking uh, to, you know, um, if, if you're talking with other, if if you're talking about other scenarios, right, where it was like a Trump or somebody, you know, let's say Mark Zuckerberg wanted to just come in and rent out the place. If that's happening and it's more just like making him feel comfortable, you're not getting a ton of revenue out of that, right? Maybe you get a bonus on the side, and but it doesn't look great, and it's is it really worth it for the extra scrutiny? You might still be able to argue yes, but it's, yeah. This, however, if that's what's happening, it, it makes a fair amount of sense in terms of why you would close everything off to test everything, make sure it's good. So I believe that's what's happening. Again, um, it is a scenario where this is mostly speculation. And again, from, you know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say, like, regardless of what I've heard, in you, this speculation could all also all be based off of just what's out there already, right? Um, it's it's not that I have some inside track. I want to make that clear. I don't have some inside track where I know somebody that's working at Meta on this and it's this is definitely what's happening. No, it is not. You could this same conjecture would have happened even without what I know, right? Um, I, I want to make that clear. It is a very it it is just kind of icing on the cake, so to speak. In terms of what we're hearing from fighters' mouths, from Ariel Hawani, all that stuff, 
this all kind of sinks in, right? You, you can easily speculate this based on Dana White's own comments. So just want to make that clear as well. I, this is not some secret. Oh, I know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. No. If, if I did, I, <laughs> I would be shouting it from the rooftops and subways and I'd be much more clever about hiding it in others, if you know what I mean. So with that in mind, uh, yeah, this is a big deal. We'll see if that's actually what's happening, right? It may take weeks to see. We may see tomorrow night might be announced at some point. I don't know. Um, it could, I could be wrong, but that's what I believe is probably happening in regards to the uh, meta and Facebook and closing down the UFC situation. All right. Next on the docket, we need to discuss Dana White contender series and the record number of contracts that were handed out um, this season. So the, Season wrapped up this past Tuesday and, again, had some big stars, uh, Raul Roses Jr. and Bo Nickel, which are now going to, both of them going to be featured in the UFC uh, video game, which is wild, right? Because you have some ranked fighters, I believe, or bigger names that aren't in the game yet, uh, and you're getting these two put in the game. So I think think that's something we're going to circle back to because it's important, but... Something that's super interesting about this season is when you look at the very first episode, right? Uh, Dana was pretty harsh. I think he gave away one contract. He said, look, this isn't just going to be something where you stroll in here and, you know, get a contract. Just if you win, you have to go for finishes. It essentially gave like a tough love speech of like, look, I'm looking for action. I'm looking for finishes, et cetera, et cetera. He then proceeds to give out more contracts than he's ever given out. 43 in total, uh, and then two people that lost during the Contender Series were given fights later on. Uh, I forget who they were specifically. I'd have to look them up. I believe one is fighting this weekend or or on the 15th of October, but uh, only a handful of fighters did not get signed, right? And yes, there was a lot of action, a lot of finishes. Pretty much if you got a finish, you mostly got signed. But this, again, speaks to the broader strategy of cost-cutting. I think between the record number of contracts, which 43, if you're looking at a 600-man roster, right, that's, if if you are truly trying to maintain a 600-man roster, that's a huge amount. That is, uh, you know, what is that? Percent, almost? I mean, when you add in the 45 it is 7.5% or something like that. Um, 7.5% of the roster, if you're keeping it around 600 and you're capping it, let's say they're capping it at 600, which I think they're going a little bit over or under depending on the particular time of year. Um, but I mean, that's around seven and a half percent of your roster was just signed in one season of Dana White Contender Series. That's huge. And again, these guys come in on low contracts you signed a fight on the contender series for 5k 5k and then if you come in to ufc from that then you're 10 and 10 for your initial contract that's cost cutting right there right do do not be surprised when you see more and more veterans getting cut aspen lad being cut yes she missed weight it was an issue but there still is no real featherweight division she was ranked, right? Um, why cut her? Well, 
she's also probably getting paid more money than a lot of people, especially the newer recruits. So she's missing weight. She's, she's messing stuff up. Great. Cut her. I know, again, I'm not saying or debating she shouldn't have been cut anyway, given all of her weight misses. But from a business standpoint, that's an easy out. You're trying to cut costs. Somebody's continually missing weight. It doesn't matter that they've got some name value and, and a ranking. Cut them. And then blame it on, you know, not being professional, missing weight. Sure. But we've seen people who miss weight all the time get other chances. Be Have to move up to a particular weight class, all of that. And, you know, again, at featherweight, Nunez doesn't really have any challengers still. Um I mean, the fact that that's still a division is wild, right? But yeah, I mean, makes some sense and, and it's gray enough either way, but it's a win-win. You, you, you get rid of someone who is continually missing and causing issues and you also save on money. Do not be surprised when more and more people, their free agency comes up and they're not resigned or they're being offered something lower than what they can find other places. If you've got a ton of contender series people coming in, it lowers your leverage in value. And the fact that Bo Nickel and Raul Rosas Jr. were put in the video game shows that this is where the UFC wants to go. They want to make these contender series guys stars. And both of them, right, are the standouts on the season, of course, but... They have potential like to to move numbers and to, you know, Roses Jr. especially has potential to move numbers as we've seen, at least on the media side, in terms of what, you know, people are looking at. The I'm sure the UFC is seeing it too from a metric standpoint. He's off the charts. And then Nickel is just so dominant that people are already calling for him to, you know, be a top five middleweight and all this stuff. I know he's fighting Jamie Pickett uh, at the end of the year. And he's, his favorite is uh, his, the odds, rather. He's a favorite by like some ridiculous amount, right? Like negative 2,800 or something crazy. I mean, makes sense to push those guys, especially now while they are on low contracts. Because when you're on lower contracts, that's when you want to milk as much money as you can out of your fighters. Because then you get the greatest profit. Right. Once they become a champ and you have to pay them champ money or uh, they, you know, start to fight rank contenders, they get on their next contract. You have to up the money by quite a bit. You lose your profit. Some of it. I mean, it's not that you're not still making money hand over fist, but if you're trying to maximize profit, you push the new guys. And that's exactly what they're doing. And again, I expect to see this all over the place. I expect more and more contender series people to be part of the roster. My guess would be in a year or two, every fight night card is going to be made up. At least a large minority will be made up of contender series guys. If not majority eventually, right? This is, this is their farming league. The UFC has essentially created a farming league and it helps cut with costs and it helps, them get the profit and revenue they want. So despite what Dana may say at the beginning of the series, right? Saying that you're going to be harsh and all this stuff. I expect again, continually high 
contract signings every Dana White contender series. Will it break the record each time? Probably not, but I expect a high amount for most of the series. If there's enough scrutiny, right, where this gets picked up by everybody and we're all kind of seeing this, maybe they do a season where it's it's lower than normal, but overall, I think you're going to look at the average of Dana White contender series signees to the UFC, and I think it's just going to be going up and up and up and up. I think that's pretty much how it's going to work, right? I guess I'm doing it backwards. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's one of those things where the average signees are probably going to just keep increasing. It's part of the cost-cutting structure. So continue is what the UFC will do with that. Let me know your thoughts on that, if you think that's true or not. Um, what you think of Nickel and especially Raul Roses Jr. Uh, it's important because, yeah, I mean, this this is the new feeder league for the UFC. All right, next up, we have to talk about the current mobilization that is happening in Russia. So um, not something we normally cover on this podcast, but it will affect business. So to step back a little bit, talk about what's going on. If you have not followed uh, the Russo-Ukrainian conflict, been going on for a while now, and Russia recently ordered a mobilization, which is the equivalent of a draft for Western countries, right? Um, several young men are being drafted, even old and sickly men are being drafted to from Russia to fight in Ukraine. And when it comes to exemptions, there aren't a ton, right? Depends on who you are, obviously, but there are not a ton of exemptions for this, at least is where, from what we understand. So in terms of how this circles back to business, right? Obviously, in MMA, um, you've got multiple fighters coming from Dagestan and Russia and the Caucasus who are high level. We, we've seen this. I mean, you you had obviously Habib being the biggest, but you've got Islam Makachev, you've got uh, Abu Abu Bakar Nurmagomedov. Um, I mean, you, you've got a whole list of Russian fighters. We could go on and on about how almost every UFC Bellator one's getting there too, uh, and PFL has one or two, but has probably has a Russian fighter on it, right? It, it's been a big thing. Um, Hamzat, right? Obviously, he's been training in Sweden and all that, but he obviously has ties to Kadyrov, which has been a whole thing, especially following his win over uh, Kevin Holland. As people are drafted, you're not going to see... Let me back this up. It is unlikely that you will see someone like Islam Makachev or Hamzat be drafted. They're too big of a name. They're too big in the sport. It wouldn't look good for Russia to draft them. It's it's probably only going to hurt their standing. But younger and or less known MMA fighters right, are more likely to be drafted. Um, article from Bloody Elbow from Kareem Zidane 
where Marif Parayev, a uh, Dagestani MMA fighter, fleed, fleed Russia when he was drafted to fight in Ukraine. And he's a former AMC Fight Nights champion, um, which, again, is a smaller promotion, but has a fair amount of people that eventually get to a larger stage. And, I mean, he he fled. That's just one example. I am sure as this goes on, if it continues to go on, you're going to see more and more guys end up getting drafted. I, I would imagine UFC fighters, as long as they are newer and haven't, you know, really fought name guys or become a bigger name in the sport, I would be not be shocked at all to see UFC fighters drafted. Uh, Bellator, uh, PFL1, I for sure, I could see them being called up, right? Because they don't have enough of a name recognition, at least some of, some of them, depends on who it is, of course. They don't have enough of a name recognition where they can kind of get out of this. Say, look, I'm a champion in the sport, or I'm fighting for a title. I should be exempt. That There's a lot of fighters out there where I don't think they'll be able to do that. And that's important because we know how good Russian MMA fighters can be, right? Um, we've seen several of them, again, climb either near the top or be at the top. And you also have political pressure as things intensify where you're you're going to have scenarios like Hamzat, who is, is friends with Kadyrov, or at least... I don't know about friends, but you, you know what I mean. Um, who, who has openly supported Kadyrov and other Russian MMA fighters who may support the war face big blowback if they fight in the States or they fight in areas that are obviously very against the war. And things are only getting crazier. With Russia's recent annexation of parts of Ukraine, it's only escalating right now. So... It's something where if you're a promotion, you have to be very careful. There's a reason why the UFC removed Russian flags for a while and just like you came out with a blank flag. And why, I mean, all international flags were essentially removed, right? It wasn't just, oh, Russia's just blank. Everybody else come out to whatever. It was like, oh, all flags are removed. They've started to let them back, but it's, it's a touchy subject. And as a promotion, you have to be careful to not get caught in the crossfire. Right. Um, it is very possible when these types of scenarios occur that you can project yourself one way or make a mistake that gets caught up in either side's propaganda that then makes you a target. And that's the last thing the UFC wants or Bellator or one or PFL, right? The last thing you want as an MMA promotion if you are not careful, it, it can really hurt you. That's, that is, I mentioned UFC first in earnest because this is a scenario where if the UFC did something, I don't know, really crazy. Like let's say they came out in support of their fighters in Russia and what they were doing. Uh, that's the type of, of, blowback that would get caught up in the media mainstream media and could really actually hurt the UFC. Now they're not going to do that, of course, but 
it's again, it's something they have to balance out. You'll, you'll notice too, UFC isn't coming out saying like, look, we really support Ukraine and Ukrainian fighters and all that. That's not, they have not outright made a comment and they won't, they, they want to stay out of it. They want to be as neutral as possible because of the amount of Russian fighters they have. And especially some of their bigger Russian Dagestani superstars like Islam and Chemayev, where Islam hasn't said anything. And Chemayev has been openly supporting Kadyrov, who is only getting the, the magnifying glass put on him even more. So if you're a business and you're navigating this type of environment, it is tricky. There are landmines. You got to assume landmines are everywhere, even if it seems like you're in the clear. You've got to be extra careful because one wrong move and you'll get blowback from one side or the other or both, and it can really mess things up for you. Now, the UFC, again, is insulated enough. It's unlikely that they're going to face such blowback. To They have to make a really big mistake, like, again, coming out and supporting one side wholeheartedly than the other. And really... I don't think they'd get that much of a blowback other than um, some fighters being internally upset if they came out in full support for Ukraine. But if they came out for full support in Russia, I mean, the the problems they would bring upon themselves would be nuts because of where Western nations stand with this. So that that's unlikely. But you still have to be careful about smaller incidents, right? You don't want to do something that offends Makachev or Chemayev where then they come out and openly start trashing the organization and you lose that fan base because they are big stars in the, in that region. You don't want to have, um, Ukrainian fighters start complaining and saying like the UFC is an enemy to the Ukraine because they allow these people to, to fight and, and support them and pay them. And that then gets picked up by, mainstream western media sites like it it's far trickier than it may appear on the surface to navigate this and as mobilization occurs that's something else where i expect dana and the ufc to not mention it unless asked directly by the media and if they are they'll probably just say like yeah he he got called up and it, and dana do a shrug of like i don't know what's going on i know he got called up he had to do something and keep it as as short and brief and neutral as possible. But it could affect MMA promotions, especially promotions like Bellator, where, again, Yaroslav is already fighting there, has been fighting there. He's, I believe he's come back now, but, I mean, he, he could have died, right? This is a real war going on. Um, and that was your champion. I mean, this can definitely affect one Bellator and PFL very hard. Because if you've got, you know, I mean, we've already seen with, with PFL where you had alternates come in because of visa issues for people from Russia and, and Dagestan when they held the events in the UK. It's it's just going to escalate and continue to impact all promotions, especially those three, those three bigger promotions. Regional promotions are the worst effect, of, of course, right? AMC Fight Nights. Uh, I mean, any Russian promotion out there right now is going to be heavily affected by this. Um, I would imagine just, you know, adjacent promotions like KSW are going to be affected by this because, yes, they have some Russian fighters, but even other, I mean, you've got 
yeah, it, it's going to affect those guys a ton. And I think it may make it all the way up to the UFC. Will it? We'll see, but I wouldn't be shocked. And as this continues to escalate, expect more and more people to be pulled out of fighting to go fight in a war, uh, as well as pressure and scrutiny, added scrutiny from comments made by bigger name stars in the sport, right? I mean, it's not shocking at all to assume that if Makachev makes some sort of statement, uh, if Chemayev makes another statement about Kadyrov, that it won't get picked up and get amplified much more than usual. So that's what's going on with that. Uh, let me know your thoughts on the situation, not on on the greater war, on the business effect, right? Like that we could go down a long path. This isn't the place for this, right? This is, this is talking about how it affects the business. Um, but let me know your thoughts on if you think it could really, you know, take out some bigger name UFC fighters, what promotions should do in your opinion, if that happens, uh, strategies to navigate it all. Cause there's, there's a lot to unpack with it. A lot more than is on the surface. This type of stuff affects everything, including the MMA industry. All right. Next up, we've got our quick hit section, just a couple for you today, but all, uh, first we've got Matchroom and Eddie Hearn suing Jake Paul for over a hundred million dollars over allegations of fixed boxing matches. <laughs> Um, so Paul made some statements that essentially said, uh, you know, clearly everybody's getting paid by, or clearly this certain guy, uh, let's see, uh, Glenn Feldman, I think, uh, is, is getting paid by matchroom boxing, uh, claimed that, that, you know, I, I think it stemmed from, cause it was a judge. So I think it stemmed from a bigger fight, but then also the Katie Taylor, Amanda Serrano fight, which Paul obviously, is the promoter for Serrano thought Serrano won that fight. It was a super close fight. I did personally have it for Serrano, but it, it was close enough. It's kind of, yeah, but made some allegations about fight fixing, uh, is now getting sued by Hearn and Matchroom because of it. It's not a massive thing other than, you know, we'll see where it goes. It's very possible that uh, Jake Paul is a little bit more tight-lipped following this type of stuff, but we'll, we have to see where the lawsuit actually goes to see if there will be settlement or there's enough evidence and, and grounds where a judge thinks that it can move forward. I'm sure Paul will move to dismiss. Um, but yeah, it, it's a bit of a headache for Jake Paul over some stuff he said, and clearly Eddie Hearn and Matchroom, you know, taking a jab at him. So yeah, we, we will see where it goes because if he actually does end up getting sued and have to pay it, I would imagine Jake Paul will be a little bit less vocal about some of his um, concerns and uh, criticisms of both boxing and probably of MMA. Uh, next up, we have one championship signing a deal with uh, BN, which is uh, a media group based out of Qatar to bring one live events to the Middle East and North Africa. Um, it's a good deal, at, at least in terms of on the surface. We don't know the actual revenue of the deal, but it makes sense. They're trying to expand their broadcasting rights. It's a smart call on their end, something that you know we've seen other promotions do. International revenue can be pretty big, so it, it's added money for sure. And right now, you certainly have 
uh, Qatar being more invested in one than most other groups, right? Uh, their most recent round of funding in December with $150 million was led by Qatar's investment group, the uh, Qatar Investment Authority is what it's called. Um, and and that gave one apparently a post-money valuation of $1.3 billion according to people surrounding with the matter. Again, who those actual sources are, I wanted to say. Uh, Chaudhry goes on to say that they expect to be profitable in the next three years and, and have grossed $80 million in revenue. Um, this is from an article at the Financial Post, by the way. But yeah, in this particular scenario, um, it's a good deal for one, makes sense. And there is some financial stuff that's out there right now. I'm not going to cover it today. Um, I would suggest in the meantime, uh, Kristen EO on Twitter, uh, and deal street Asia does fantastic work. She released an article. Check that out. I'm sure John Nash will have something out there. I know he's commented a little bit of about the financials. Um, but definitely check those out for right now. I may cover it next week's podcast may not depending on where we are. Uh, but yeah, it's either way. This deal in particular shows one's expansions uh, post Amazon deal makes a lot of sense. You had you had an Amazon one commercial during Thursday night football, which is huge. And we won't see if it actually affects numbers or not because we don't get to see Amazon's numbers. But they're, they're clearly making some bigger pushes in the marketing realm. This type of deal to bring in those markets is only going to help one in what they're trying to do. So Good news for them on that front. And then lastly, uh, Bellator Lightweight Grand Prix was announced. We know that, uh, you know, when it comes to Bellator, they love hosting tournaments. And the tournament formats are exciting, right? They get you invested far more. Uh, Bellator knows this. They've been going back to that well for a while. We've had multiple tournaments over the past several years so it makes sense you do lightweight especially with eddie alvarez becoming a free agent very possible that they pursue him to bring him over to up viewership but we'll see what it does overall given that bellator as of late has been really less so on the promotional side and marketing spending than they used to be uh, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, depending on what they're trying to do cost-wise and given the CBS merger. I know Showtime, obviously, is that paywall where uh, I, I would imagine, I don't have Showtime, but I would imagine there's ads going on there. But of course, you're not going to see it in the broader market. But a big lightweight Grand Prix like this with Eddie Alvarez coming in would make a lot of sense. That would create enough buzz, get more eyes on it. Um, I know that, they also opened their doors to all the media that were going to be in Vegas uh, for the Dern Jaunan fight. They said, hey, come over to Bellator 286, which was smart, uh, smart on their part. But yeah, we'll be interesting to see where that goes and to see how much buzz and hype it gets. Just because we've seen a more muted marketing strategy from Bellator post CBS Viacom merger. So those are the quick hits. Let me know if I've missed anything or I should cover anything else. Any any thoughts on that? But yeah, uh, some some important info in those. All right, last thing we're going to cover on today's show is the PFL has announced their championship fight card will be the day after Thanksgiving and that it will be a pay-per-view. 
So it's a big move. We knew pay-per-view was coming, right? Um, PFL has, has not tried to hide this. They, they want a pay-per-view division. Uh, Kayla Harrison is expected to move to the pay-per-view division. I would assume that would happen no matter what, unless only scenario is if uh, Larissa Pacheco, I apologize again on last names. I'm the worst. Um, if she ends up somehow beating Harrison, then maybe Harrison goes back into the tournament as well. But I think it's much more likely that Harrison ends up in the PFL pay-per-view division biggest fight to make there is obviously Chris Cyborg where they're trying to work on it. We'll see. But I mean, this is an interesting card to make your pay-per-view debut, right? Um, it is the 2000. It, it is the 2022 championship. We've seen ratings are up. So maybe that's part of, part of it right but just looking at the card right here that i'm pulling up um the entire card six title fights um and you've you've got headlined by kayla harrison versus larissa pacheo uh pacheo sorry uh then you've got featherweight brandon lofnane versus bubba jenkins showcase bout between shane burgos and marlon marais which should be a fun bout to watch certainly, but I don't know how much of that will help with the actual draw of the pay-per-view. Um, heavyweight Ante Delijah versus Math Matthias Sheffield. Uh, OAB Oliver Auburn Mercer versus Stevie Ray for lightweight. Uh, and then Sadabu Sai versus Delano Taylor for welterweight. Those are the, Oh, Oh, and uh, Omariak Medoff and Rob Wilkinson for the light heavyweight. So those are all the championships plus the burgos Marais fight. Uh, and then another showcase fight of Nathan Schultz versus Jeremy Stevens. There are also, I believe, two other... Yeah, T- TBAs versus TBAs, um, showcase fights. One will be on the actual main card. The other will be in the prelims. But as we know from at least UFC pay-per-view buys, and we haven't seen this as much and done as much study in Bellator or other promotions because there haven't been a consistent amount of pay-per-views to really you know, go through this study on. But um, in terms of that, you're, we know that generally the headliner and the co-main are what draw. And it's almost like 80% or more headliner, right? If you got a really awesome co-main, maybe that changes it up, but generally the headliner. And so if you're looking at just that information from, and again, we can't translate it one-to-one necessarily for the UFC, but if we assume that is still true, then Harrison is the headliner here and Lofnane is the supplement, right? Um, Yes, Burgos and Marais might, boost some people to, to look at it. But I mean, really you're testing Kayla Harrison's strong power is what you're doing. You're also testing the ratings that we've seen go up for the PFL this, this year, which is good. Um, much higher than they've been in previous years. And again, PFL sources have said that the ESPN plus numbers are good and ESPN's happy with them. So that's also a big plus, but you're really testing Kayla Harrison's drawing power here. If this does, let's say, 300, 400K buys, that's huge 
for the PFL, and that's a major win. That shows, okay, Kayla Harrison is a draw. A lot of people want to see her. This is big. Awesome. And you best believe they will start lining people up for her and even pushing her more in marketing, making sure she stays uh, with the PFL, all that stuff. If this flops badly, let's say this does 50K or less pay-per-views, that also speaks to Kayla Harrison's drawing power and shows that, yes, people are increasingly watching the PFL, but they're not really ready to pay for it beyond an ESPN plus subscription. And Harrison is not a big enough draw where, Oh man, I need to see, you know, Harrison, if she's going to win the belt or not, I need to see that. It's not there because remember, even on a three or 400 K pay-per-view buy that, that number is good for the UFC, the highest amount that the UFC has done. And they're charging, I'm sure much more than what the PFL will charge, but the highest amount that we know so far this year is around 400 K. And it was Charles Oliveira versus uh, Gagey, I believe. Or Poirier, one of the two. But, um, I mean, so that's a great number, right? That's a fantastic number. That includes a lot of casual viewers. The only people that really exceed that are like McGregor, who brings in buttloads of casual viewers. Beyond that, it's, you know... The hardcores. And and when the hardcores watch the UFC, we've seen, right? We we know that uh what was it? Nunez versus Pennington did less than hundred K buys. And that's the UFC. So you, you relying on PFL hardcores to buy this is gonna be a, at minimum a measure of PFL hardcore fans. And getting that information is important, right? To know, okay, we're finally putting this behind a paywall. How many people in our hardcore fan base are actually willing to pay for it. But still, it's it's an interesting choice on this particular card because yes, it is the championship and it really is is a referendum on the se- the season as a whole as well as Harrison, but Harrison is also going up against someone that she's beaten multiple times. And that's very possibly going to take a little bit shine off it. Now, if you're a big enough star, that doesn't really matter, right? We've we've seen, I mean, McGregor versus Cerrone did banger numbers. Um, we we've seen Jones versus Cormier do banger numbers. That doesn't necessarily cause an issue, but it it is going to be interesting to see how well this does, and it will really test Harrison's drawing power and may end up, I don't know if it will hurt her necessarily. I I think she's insulated enough that if it does really bad, I think she's still okay. But I mean, if you're doing super low numbers, right? If you're doing like 20 K or under, then that's bad. But as long as you're doing, you know, at least 50 K buys, you're probably okay. Um, but yeah, it, it's going to be super interesting because we we know, at least from the media end and metrics we've seen, PFL topics don't generate nearly as much click-throughs, as much watch time as others. You've got hardcores watching, sure, but uh, it's not nearly as big a topic as other promotions 
at least from that standpoint, from what we've seen. It's been increasing just like their viewership has been increasing. So that's a good sign for them. Whether or not this is the right time to pull the trigger is is another question, right? Um, very well could be. And they'll obviously come in. I'm sure they're not going to charge $75 a pay-per-view. If they do that, then they're in trouble. Um, but, you know, they're going to come in at a better price point, which will also help buys. It's just going to be very interesting to see what they do. I'm going to say, as my prediction, given the card as a whole, given the price point, and this is their first time doing pay-per-view, I'm going to say you're looking at 50 to 75K buys. I think you're still going to be under 100. I think 100K or more is a win for them, especially as a new kid on the block where you've got really just one megastar or who you perceive to be a megastar with the drawing power, right? And keep in mind, a big contentious issue between Cyborg and Harrison was Cyborg believed she was the A-side, that she should get paid more. If this does well, Harrison and the PFL can kind of go back to Cyborg's camp and be like, look, no, Harrison is a legit draw and let's make it a little bit more even, but we're going to do much better numbers than probably what you think we were going to do. Let's get this done. Very possible because we knew Cyborg was a draw, right? Um, Cyborg drew numbers. She did. She was the biggest draw in the UFC outside of Ronda Rousey, I believe. Um, Nunez never really got the the pay-per-view numbers that the UFC hoped for. Um, Cyborg, though, Cyborg did did well. And, I mean, next to Rousey, who, of course, was the star. So, again, we'll see how this goes. It's going to be interesting. Uh, I will be watching. I'm obviously MMA media, so I will. But, I mean, during Thanksgiving is not a bad time, too, right? Like, I, I enjoy putting on fights during that time. Yes, you've got football. You've got the World Cup, though, you're competing with. That's another big factor uh, that I don't know. In fact, well, I mean, time-wise, they should be all right, right? But um, you, you've got the U.S. playing the same day uh, in the World Cup in the afternoon early, but still, um, you know, you, you've got a lot of competition. you got to be careful. With, I mean, relatives will be over, but then again, it's not bad, especially in family situations, depending on your family, to, to have something on in the background you like to watch, all that, so... We'll see. We'll see how it does. I am very curious and hopeful for the PFL just to set the record straight because I know at least one or two people have said, like, you don't like the PFL. I was like, no, no, I do. I want them to succeed. Competition only helps everyone. Uh, and I like the format a lot. So we'll see. But uh, yeah, I, I'm going to go with 50 to 75K buys for this one. Um, I think that's probably the range we're looking at. We, I don't know. We'll also see if we get accurate numbers. I believe we will, but it's through, I believe it's through ESPN Plus again, so it might be harder to get those numbers. So I, I don't know. We, we will see. Let me know your thoughts on if you are going to buy the pay-per-view, uh, if you think my prediction is right, if you think it'll do more, do less. I've seen a lot of criticism. I've seen a lot of people saying it's going to surprise. Let me know where you stand on the PFL hosting a pay-per-view the day after Thanksgiving and whether or not you're going to buy it. Because it's, it's a big deal, and it'll be a big test for the organization. All right, everybody, that wraps up another episode of the Fight Business Podcast. Appreciate you guys for listening. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the like, subscribe, bell notification. If you're listening on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, what have you, always appreciate you guys. Let me know your thoughts. Always hit me up at 
all day, OJ. Um, love to get some of your insight, especially on a lot that's going down uh, this week. And yeah, until next time, y'all, get money. <laughs>